0: Isaiah chapter 60. This chapter is the glory chapter, by the way. The first few verses are outlined verse by verse, and then you come to uh, verse 5, and then you have the conversion of the world that takes in several verses, verses 5 through 9, and then verses 10 through 16 is Jerusalem restored and glorified, and verses 17 through 22, the remainder of the chapter is a. Theocratic kingdom established its material and the spiritual glories that are there. These things have to do with the conversion of the Gentiles, basically, and God's future blessings upon them through the nations and people of Israel. So we say we say mostly it speaks of Israel's future glory, though the Gentiles are tied in with Israel's future glory. And this is an ode praising Zion for her restoration. And her new position as a spiritual center of God's future kingdom, which will be uh, yet in the future. Let's begin with verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Now, they need to arise from the dust of their mourning. They were mourning back in chapter 3 of Isaiah. In verse 26, it says, and her gates shall lament and mourn, and she, she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. So from sitting upon the ground and being in a situation of desolation, God promises that there will be a future time that she will arise because the light is come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon me. And when the light and the glory of the Lord has come, then there will be a blessing upon the nation of Israel. Shion refers to their newly acquired spiritual life. You know, Israel has been in darkness for years. And their new understanding of the things of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, uh, verses 8 and 14, it says this, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So just as Israel was blinded in the Old Testament in in darkness, uh, many people today, this refers to the Gentiles, by the way, in the New Testament, And all people who were in darkness, Jews and Gentiles, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then in verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So we know that we we as Christians need to walk in the light of God's uh, presence. Jesus said, He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know, I feel sorry for people that are still walking in darkness because the light of God's Word, the light of God's presence, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit and God guiding us day by day is light. And that's what we're to follow. And some people follow darkness instead of light. And they stumble around in this world and in this wilderness of sin. They just keep stumbling through, grasping for something uh, to hold on to when they cannot see well, God's children are supposed to be children of light. When it says, The glory of the Lord is risen upon me, The glory of the Lord is not merely the Shekinah glory or the cloud of glory that rested on the ark in the Old Testament. But it refers to the personal presence of the Lord. You know, the, the glory of the Lord rested in the, in the, ark, in the uh, tabernacle. Of old, Over the Ark of the Covenant, behind the second veil. And that Shekinah glory, a very bright presence of God, was known only in there as the high priest went in to that private place and that separated place where he only could go. And that, by the grace of God, uh, not without blood, but went in once a year with the blood of the sacrifice to obtain remission of sins for all the children of Israel. But that Shekinah glory now has... Uh, been it's, it's made possible that we have the personal presence of the Lord in our lives. And He is that glory uh, that we can have that was only known to them in a fashion. Jeremiah 3, verses 16 and 17. Let me read this for you. It says this, And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. In other words, they were not looking for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither shall they be done, uh, that be done anymore. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all nations shall be gathered into it. The name of the Lord uh, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk anymore after the Im- imagination of their evil heart. So they're looking for a day, and we're looking for a day, that God's presence will be... That which uh, manifests His glory. The glory of God departed from the temple before its destruction. I can give you references in Ezekiel. But that glory will return after the temple is rebuilt. And this, this verse anticipates that reality. If you want to take time later to look up these verses, in Ezekiel eleven, twenty two, and 3, and then Ezekiel 43, 2, it shows that the temple of God, that the, the glory departed... In the first passage, Ezekiel 11, 22-23. And then uh, that glory would return after the temple was rebuilt. And that's Ezekiel 43, verse 2. And we could give you more references, but that would uh, confuse your minds on that, I'm sure. Now then, in verse 2 it says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. The darkness before the morning, the darkness shall cover the earth. Darkness was how the earth was described at the outset of creation before God said, "What? Let there be light," and there was light. The whole world was enveloped in darkness. It says, "Darkness was upon the face of the deep," and 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 God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And God can speak. If God can speak light into creation. He can enlighten us, and the whole earth will be enlightened through Israel because God will be with them, and they indeed will be a light to the nations. See, He will be a light to His people, Israel, and they in turn will be a light to the nations, to the people, the Gentiles. The light, this light is spoken of uh, in 9, verse 2 in Isaiah, but it was recognized in the New Testament as the coming of Jesus. Now, I'll give you two places in the New Testament. Look in Matthew 4, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 4, verse 14 and 15. Well, 14 through 16, I should say. And it's referring to this passage of Scripture from the prophet Isaiah. Matthew 4, verse 14. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now look. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. That is with the coming of Christ. And really it's cited from Isaiah chapter 9, and it has reference to the passage in chapter 60 that we're studying. So what you're saying is that Jesus came, and He was not only a light to the Jews, but He was especially a light to the Gentiles, which they didn't particularly care for, because there was jealousy but God is uh, is a god of all people of this earth not just Jews only they had a special privilege they were a special privileged people and yet in spite of that God's overall purpose was to save all of mankind just as he chose the nation of Israel to be a testimony to him for him he chose them to be a light to the gentiles in the fulfillment of that promise to to Israel was that Christ came, and after the great temptation is the context in Matthew 4 that we just read. Well, he became a light to the Gentiles. He went to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, that he might be a light to the Gentiles, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Verse 4 says, Lift up, and by the way, that verse, Isaiah 60, verse 3, verse 3 says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to thy brightness. The brightness of thy rising. And this speaks of the conversion of the Gentiles. By the way, God has started that conversion, after it. well, let's say markedly with the house of Cornelius, when Peter opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, as far as the New Testament is concerned. And it has continued through this day and age of grace for some nearly 2,000 years. And then what? There, it will continue until the time that Israel... Is a light to the Gentiles in the tribulation period and the Gentile, the tri, uh, tribulation saints will be saved and that light will continue until all the Gentiles that will turn to God will uh, call upon Him and they will turn to Him. So the conversion of the Gentiles is spoken of not only during this day and age of grace but a future conversion. The Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Verse four says, "Lift up thine eyes round about and see, all they gather, all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. The dispersed of Israel will be brought home. In all this future glory, in this chapter, we're going to find a whole lot of things happening, and that's why it's so hard to put it down." Uh, statement by statement is because the, conver- the not only the conversion of the Gentiles of all the people of the world is in view, but the restoration and the regathering of all of His people so the dispersed among His people will be brought home. He says, "...they shall come to thee, thy son shall come from far, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side." And then beginning with verse 5, we see the conversion of the whole world through verse 9. So when it says in verse 4, lift up thine eyes, this refers to Jerusalem, addressed as a female whose eyes are downcast with grief. When it says, thy sons and thy daughters, the Hebrews, like dispersed children, are a scattered flock of people. But they would come back from their captivity to restore their city and worship God, even in the Old Testament. That was one coming back. But there will be a future coming back uh, at the end of the tribulation period and when the millennium comes. When you look at verse 5, then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because of the abundance of the sea. The abundance of the sea has reference to the wealth of distant lands, as in Solomon's time will be at disposal of the restored community. And this is the reason for their joy, because of the abundance of the sea "...shall be converted unto thee, the, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee." And of course this will bring joy to God's people and to the Gentiles uh, that call upon the Lord. Verse 6 says, "...the multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord." We find an illustration of this. When in the Old Testament, camels were used for overland trade and for delivering tribute to the kings. First Kings chapter 10, we find the Queen of Sheba coming uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. Now, in verse 2, And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. So what happened back there in the Old Testament? They came laden with rich offerings to their king, King Solomon. The nations that paid tribute. And these camels were used for this overland trade. Delivering this tribute. We find that when the Queen of Sheba came, she wanted to. Ask hard questions, notice, to prove him with hard questions. In verse 3 it says, And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom, and the house that he he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his assent, by which he went up to, unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land, of thine action, of thy wisdom. We could say it's a true report that we've heard of Jesus, of his action, of his wisdom. And Solomon here was seen by the queen of Sheba. And in verse 7 she says this, and I'd like to look at this verse, Howbeit I believe not the words until I came, and mine eyes had had seen it, and behold, the half has not told was not told me. The half was not told me. Thy wisdom and thy prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. If we take that and apply it to the things we've heard of of the blessings of the Lord upon us, we would say that the half has not been told, would we not? All right, there's a lot of things described back here in the Book of Isaiah, chapter. Uh, 60 and verse uh, 6 and 7. We read verse 6, but let's read verse 7, and then we'll come back and talk about some of these names. Midian, Ephah, Sheba, Kedar, and, uh, Nebaoth, and other things. But let's read verse 6 and 7 again. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come. And they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedah shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Neboah shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will, be, I will glorify the house of my glory. So verses 6 and 7 have a great deal of historical information. Midian is a land that stretches eastward from Edom down to the northwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula. We speak of them in the Old Testament as the Midianites. Ephah is a descent of Abraham in Genesis 25 verse 4 and is associated with Midian. Sheba is an area southwest of Arabia, famous for its trade in frankincense and gold. And the mention of the mention of the camels and Sheba reminds the reader of the glory days of Israel, when Solomon, and we've already referred to it, was visited by the Queen of Sheba, who came to Jerusalem with the camels laden with precious commodities. Kedar in the southern southern Arabia desert, and eastward toward Mesopotamia, where its people were traders of flocks. Naboth is the son of Ishmael and brother-in-law of Edom, the father of the. Neviathans, whose capital was Petra. The mention of these two tribes together matches their parallel usage in the, of the Assyrian king. Now then, these, <clears throat> these tribal peoples, traditionally at odds with each other, will freely come to Jerusalem to make offerings. And that's spoken of at a future time. So look at verse 8 now. It says, Who are these that fly as a cloud, as the doves to their windows? Who are these, the prophet asks. The prophet sees a vision of a fleet of ships. The next verse says, Surely the isle shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarsus first. So, he sees a fleet of ships from distant lands, bringing people to Israel. They are likened to clouds flying across the sky. And in verse 9 we're told of the, uh, actually the Israelites, the children of Abraham are spoken of, that, that come. Surely the isle shall wait for me in the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold, unto the name of the Lord thy God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. <clears throat> when it says, bring thy son, sons, it's actually all of uh, God's people uh, especially the Israelites, first of all, and then the Gentiles. And it says, Unto the name of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And so what he has done for Israel, he makes known that he will do for others that want to come and worship him. He is not the God of Israel only, but he is the God of all people. And verse 10 says, And the sons of strangers shall build thy walls, strangers, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, and in my favor have I had mercy on thee. You know, God smites and God has mercy. Even the very kings who conquered the Israelites will help in their restoration. See, God used the various kings of nations to smite his own people. And then what happened? Later on, they helped in the restoration of God's people. And it's the same thing that's true, that will be true in the future. There will be people that are, well, it happened during the Acts of the Apostles, in the days of the Apostolic area. The people that were smiting God's people, they turned around and were saved, uh, as a result. And they turned around and became, uh, fellow laborers with the Jews in their effort to preach the gospel. Those that were converted of that day during the days of the times of the book of Acts and the days of the apostles. I want us to look, please, at verse 11. It says, Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut uh, day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. What does he say? Now, in times of peace, the gates of the city are always open. You know, the gates were put up to keep the invaders and the enemy from coming in. But in the times of peace, the gates were always open. And under the Prince of Peace in the future, the gates of Jerusalem will always be open and ready to receive new offerings and new converts. So there's a future time that God's blessings will be open to all people. In Revelation chapter 2, let me see if I can find, chapter 3 rather, in verse 8, it says, I know thy works, listen, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. When when the Lord opens the door, He opens it up so no man will be able to shut it. And these open gates back here represent the Lord opening up the way for all people to enter in and enjoy His blessings. Look at verse 12. For the nation... And kingdom will not serve thee. That will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Fear of Israel's God will cause the Gentile nations to submit themselves. Verse thirteen says, "The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee. The fir tree, the pine tree, the box, together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious." When it speaks of the glory of Lebanon, it refers to the natural brute beauty of all of our trees. Which was used to rebuild the sanctuary, as it was uh, true when Solomon's temple was, was built. First uh, Kings 5, verse 8 and 9. Let me read this for you. First Kings 5, verse 8 and 9. It says, And Hiram said to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things which thou sendest to me for, and I will do all thy desire concerning timber. Of cedar and concerning timber of fir, my servants shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by sea in floats unto the place that thou shalt appoint me, and will cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them, and shall accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. So there was made an agreement to send all the timber and provide all the timber that Solomon needed to build build a temple. And there was an uh, agreement made between Hiram and uh, so, I mean, did I say Hiram? It says, uh, And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things that thou sendest me for. So he permitted him to have all the timber that he needed. You know, when God provides for His house and His people, He does it in such a way that He moves upon the hearts of others to provide that very thing that we need. If we'd think locally of of this local New Testament church here. Years ago, we bought Thomas here when we bought this property. In fact, if he hadn't helped me sign this name on the note, we probably wouldn't have got it. (laughs) We had several men that signed. We borrowed $1,300. I mean big bucks. (laughs) To pay down payment on this. And it was for us, I'll guarantee you, in 1959. And we bought this, these six lots for $4,500. Well, the man wanted, George Fox wanted $7,500 for, for these six lots. But he only was going to give us 100 feet deep. And I went to him and I said, uh, I can't give you. I said, we can only give you 4500 And I said, besides that, I need 25 more feet. I need 125. That was half of these this 250 feet deep across here. And I said, I need half of it because I have to build a building as long as that. And he said, okay. <laughs> so I saved $3,000 plus I got 25 feet more on six lots across here. But anyway, then finally, I could have, we could have bought all of the, the property across the front there for $11,500, but we didn't have any $11,500. So just recently, you know, we bought half of what's on the front. <laughs> for $75,000 <laughs> estimated. We didn't pay that much, but anyway, that was the, the, the appraised value of what we bought. And so anyway, we got it and paid for it. So you never know. God. If God wants you to have something, He moves upon the hearts of other people to provide whatever it was, in Solomon's case, the timber to build the house of the Lord. And in our case, the property that we needed. And if it's God's will... If it's God's will and we have the other rest of that, someday we may have it. So you just keep praying. If it's God's will, we'll have that for our young people and for other facilities that we need. And the buildings are already there and et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But anyway, be that as it may, whatever we need, God will provide. If we don't need it, we don't have to buy it, do we? So, uh, that's the way I look at things. You know, if God wants you to have it, He'll make the way for you. If he doesn't want you to have it, don't stick your neck out and say, I did it by faith. Because there's a very narrow line between faith and foolishness. And if you can't pay for it, it's kind of foolish. If you can pay for it and it's in your plan and and you know that God will supply that amount of money, then it's by faith. And you walk by faith and you also use wisdom along the way. Faith is grasping hold of God. what God wants us to have. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, isn't it? The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So, to claim something by faith, you claim it alright, but you look upon it as a reality from God and, and use uh, some... He gave you this head to use too, didn't He? And we, He's put some wisdom and guidance there. It would be foolish for me to say, I'm going to go by faith and I'm going to buy me a brand new Cadillac without money to pay for it. That would wouldn't—that'd be foolish, wouldn't it? And some people are like that. Some preachers say, I want a great big church, the biggest church I can build on this piece of property. Well, you may want it, but do you have the money to pay for it? Now, if you don't, you better start thinking of how God would provide that money and if He's going to give you the people and the prosperity and uh, the blessings in order to provide and pay the payments. Jesus taught us that. He says when a man goes out to build a house, he counts the cost first, doesn't he? When he goes out to battle, he says, do I have enough men to win this battle? You don't go and say, I've got a thousand men to go up against ten thousand, and I'm sure I'm going to be the victorious. Now, in the case of Gideon, it might be a little different. But I'm talking about what Jesus said about using your head about things. So we need to count the cost and see... Uh, How things uh, are to be evaluated. But anyway, let's get back to this. In verse uh, uh, 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Verse 14, the sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come, bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. The Zion of the Holy One of Israel. All the descendants of the Gentile nations who were once cut off because of God's judgment will recognize Israel's God as the Holy One. Look at verse 15. Whereas thou hast seen, whereas thou hast been, Forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an external excellency, a joy of many generations. No man went through thee, speaks of once their land was so desolate that no one wanted to travel through. But God is going to restore that land, and then they will say, I will, then he will say, I will make thee an external, uh, an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Look at verse 16. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shall suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. The breast of kings, not literally, but figuratively, nourished by foreign kings. Isn't it amazing how God sometimes uses others? to be a nourishment to His people. He's able to do that. Sometimes I've, we've re, all of us have received blessings from sources that we had no uh, imagination that it would come from that source. We think it would come from another direction. You know, you and I always have it figured out where it will all come from. But God knows where it will come from. And it says here, Thou shalt also shalt suck the breasts of kings. And it's a spiritual... Uh, figuratively, nourishment by foreign kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. Think of the foreign kings that came when Jesus was born. The wise men from the east came from a far country. And what was his provision? What was his nourishment at the time of his infancy? infancy? Gold and frankincense and myrrh and all the provisions that they needed for their sojourn in Egypt and their return, all of this would come in very handy, wouldn't it? Well, where did it come from? It came from not Jerusalem and not Bethlehem and not the presence of the people that were was there, but it came from other sources other than what was even imagined, begin to be imagined by Joseph and Mary. But God provided. Look at verse seventeen. <clears throat> it says, "For brass, I will bring gold." You know, I'd rather have gold than brass, hadn't you? And it says, And for iron I will bring silver. I'd rather have silver than iron. And for wood and for wood brass. And for stones, iron. I will also make thy officers peace and thy exactors righteousness. Now this is a figurative allusion to the furniture of the temple. But the main thing is that peace and righteousness will characterize the new administration of restored. Jerusalem peace and righteousness unlike the taskmasters of Egypt that oppressed them they will be blessed and under a new administration well, you know we're always talking about in our country a new administration brother I'll be glad when all of human man's administrations are over and the king of kings is ruling and reigning and then we'll have justice and judgment we won't have the things that we have today and uh, each of our leaders and senators, they do. I'm sure that many of them are doing the best they can, but in spite of that, you have all the human element and all the human frailties and all the misjudgments of men that enter the picture. I'm reminded of something my wife said. She saw a little cartoon in one of the magazines she was looking at, and this girl was on the phone, you know. And she says, yes, we're sending, we're sending a senator in, into outer space, into space. No, we can't send them all. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever was on the phone wanting to know if they could send every one of them. (laughs) But anyway, I think John Glenn's going back up again. But (laughs) let's get back to this. Brass, for brass I will bring gold, for iron I will bring silver, for wood, brass, and for stones, iron. I will also make thy officers peace and thine exactors righteousness. Now, peace and righteousness is the bottom line of all of this. And that's what we're really looking for. Not the taskmasters of Egypt and not the taskmasters or those things that enslave you and I as individuals. Verse 18, violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Won't that be a great day? And it says, Wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Salvation will serve only as their walls of protection. For their enemies will be converted into friends. Salvation will protect us because we won't have any enemies. If all of our enemies are made friends, why do we need walls? So salvation is the answer instead of walls, isn't it? And praise, the city gates were once the scene of destruction. In the days of Nehemiah, if you'll remember the city gates and the walls and what happened. But now there are going to be places where people come to give praise and thanksgiving. Let me read in the book of Nehemiah uh, chapter 1. In verse 3, when the destruction came, they came with a report to Nehemiah, and they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So walls and gates are spoken of. And they were destroyed. And Nehemiah went set out to rebuild the walls and restore the gates upon their on their hinges and put everything back in order. And he had quite a job in doing that because everyone uh, criticized him and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they make an end in a day? Are you going to uh, uh, resurrect this city out of this rubble, this heap of rubbish? But God was with him and they continued to work and to pray and the job got done. Look at verse 19 in our text. The sun shall be no more thy light by day. There is going to be a time that the sun shall be no more thy light by day; neither for the brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God, uh, and thy God, thy glory. Let's read verse twenty: The sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself; for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Think of that: the Lord shall be thine everlasting light. The New Jerusalem is described as being uh, the source of light. In the book of Revelation, let me read a couple of verses for you. Chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. It says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Think of that for a moment. Would you, go, would you move into a place where there was no church? He says, and I saw no temple therein. You don't need any. In that city, you're not going to need a temple. Because it says, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Can you think of a time that we'll have no need of the sun or the moon or the light? It says, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Had no need. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And then in chapter 22, verse 5, And there shall be no night there, for they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We're talking about a future time of glory, aren't we? And this whole chapter has to do with it. I'll read verse 21 and 22 and close. Thy people also shall be all righteous. Would that be a great day? Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, never any more departing. The branch of my planning, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand. Even the smallest family will multiply and become a thousand, or clan, and a small one, a strong nation, I the Lord will hasten it, I the Lord will hasten it in his time. Not in our time, but in His time. We might wish to hasten it, but it will come in due time. You know, remember, the disciples of Acts chapter 1 said, uh, "...Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel?" And Jesus said, "...It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own power." But we're talking in this chapter. I wish I was more able to expound it as it ought to be expounded. But I've tried to give a few insights to it. But let me say this. There will be a time that all will be fulfilled. And the future glory of Israel and the future glory of God's people and the millennium will come and the new heavenly Jerusalem will come and that eternal state in which we will need no temple, we will need no house, local church house, we will need no synagogue, Because the Lord God will be the temple thereof. And we'll not need the sun or the moon to shine and to lighten it because He will be so much brighter than the noonday sun if it were to shine. And we'll have that glorious light of the future. All of this is in God's future and God's plan for all of His people. And I'm looking forward to a time that, that we can lay aside all the frailties and all the injustices and all the bad things of this earth and that heavenly glory will be real to Jews and Gentiles alike.